my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, I'm going to address one of the most popular questions we've been getting in our Ask Clark inbox. What is the deal with FedNow? Probably thinking, what's FedNow? I'll tell you in a minute. Also, there's a simple and inexpensive way for you to save big bucks on your cooling expense as we've been through heat wave after heat wave. And here it is, still only August, and we got all those summertime bills for cooling to pay. There's something that's old, that's new again, that can save you money. So something that is old in much of the rest of the world, but is new here in the United States right now, It's being talked about so much in the financial press that we keep getting questions for me to explain it. So first, let me tell you what it is. It's called FedNow. And the idea is your money should be available to you instantly if you want to pay somebody or some organization or whatever. You get paid. Your money should be available to you instantly no hold. Somebody pays you. You should have access to the funds instantly, not after five days or 10 days or whatever it is that your bank decides is when they're going to give you access to your funds availability. And you'll get a notice if you do a large deposit where it says you'll have this much money in a day and you'll have this much money in five days and blah, 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 blah. And they reserve the right to hold your money forever if they want to. Well, the banks are in terror that the United States finally is adopting a system that's been common, not just in developed countries, but in many developing countries or middle-income countries or whatever you call them. It's instant availability of funds and instant ability to move funds. The banks hate this because banks have made Billions and billions taking advantage of you and me on the float where money comes from someone to us, we deposit that money or vice versa, and nobody has use of that money. The place you sent the money from takes it from you right away. The person who wants the money, who has the money, can't use it, and the banks are getting rich off of taking advantage of us. So the technologies existed for a long time for money to move instantly for the receiving bank to know it's real, the sending bank sent real money, credit unions too, and then you as the customer receiving money, it's yours to use right away. No issue. The banks despise this. And FedNow is now available But a lot of banks are slow walking, adopting it. So this is going to become a differentiator where let's say people do a lot of business transactions and you need instant availability of funds is what it's called. You may need to change financial institutions to a new bank, a new credit union that's not playing games anymore and has adopted FedNow. And over time, this will be the way things are done, no matter how much the banks hate it and slow walk it. They lobbied against this for years using all their dirty money 
in Washington to try to stop the ability for you to have access to money that's real and there. So this is good news for you as a consumer, but you're going to have to work to find where you can use it. Eventually, I assume there will be an online database, not yet, where you'll be able to see the participating financial institutions in FedNow. And then this this game the banks play was saying, yeah, we got your money, but we're not going to let you have it. That will end. But right now, you're the one who has to do the work to use it. Now, it just launched. So this will, in fits and starts, become available more and more places and is the way it should be because the reality is the technology has been around for a long, long, long time and we in the United States are a laggard with it. Now, one other thing. How do you pay for things now? Krista, when you go somewhere, how do you pay? Do you do tap and pay? Do you pull out plastic? How are you paying? I usually, well, it's I probably pull out plastic still about 80% of the time. And then the other 20%, I'm using my Google Pay. Your G Pay. I've been reading that Apple Pay is taking more and more mind share, market share, that Apple Pay is becoming the primary way a lot of people with iPhones are now paying for things. And we're going to see more and more of that where people pay electronically. And as we've had the questions and complaints about before, more and more businesses will no longer take cash. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see the terminals that you pay at become steadily more sophisticated to be able to take payments as some do now from your watch. My watch will do that. Mine I see. Will too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a oh, there's your watch. Okay. Actually, so, no, I just got it. I'm using a Garmin now. Oh, you're using a Garmin. So you don't, you can't, can you pay with Garmin? You probably can, but I'm not, I mean, oh. I already have, the problem is I haven't even put all my cards on GPay. And so I use cards for different things and I don't have my grocery store card on there yet. And I just need to get it done. But like my whole family uses the Apple pay. Do you use your watch to pay? I use my phone to pay. Okay. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I I've tried with my watch and it's been wonky, mm-hmm. but I do pay repeatedly with my phone. But this thing of not accepting cash, you know, I'm talking about your money being available to you places, not accepting cash, even with all the fees they face, You're going to see that more and more. It prevents being a target for thieves, trying to steal the money, deals with the potential of internal theft at a business or restaurant. And so electronic methods of payment like Apple Pay, GPay, paying with your watch, whatever, and paying with plastic, it's going to continue to dominate the landscape. Okay, we'll go to questions. This is from Jenny in Ohio. I love your show and appreciate your advice. I recently received my homeowners and car insurance policies for payment, and I noticed both went up substantially. My home is up 17% and the car insurance is up just about 10% per year. We use an independent agent for coverage, and that may be where I'm going wrong. We have been with them since 2021 and have never had a claim with them and only minor claims with our previous company. Should I stop working with an independent agent or is this just all about inflation? My paycheck just can't keep up with this increase plus all the others. So Jenny, this is going to be weird. It's going to sound like I'm being flippant. The increases that you're facing at 17 and 10% 
are much lower than we've been hearing from other people. So there are multiple factors going on at the same time. Your auto, the auto was 10, right? Or was it homeowners that was 10? Uh, it was the home that was 17%. Yeah, and the homeowner. Oh, the, the auto was 10. 10. So we're hearing reports where people's auto is going up 40% at renewal, 40%. The, the auto insurers have been losing money like crazy because the cost of repairing vehicles has gone up. If cars totaled, the cost that the vehicle represents current value in the used marketplace is so much higher than it was. The auto insurers are really taking it on the chin. And so the increases happening have been so large. And ironically enough, I've been encouraging people to go to independent agents that can shop multiple companies. You're actually in the right place. Homeowners, the homeowner's insurance has gone up because we've had an escalation in the value of homes. They're going to go sideways or level out for a number of years moving forward because home prices have outstripped people's ability to afford them. So we're not going to see these rapid increases in home values moving forward, but there's some catch-up going on in the homeowner's insurance market. Plus, we've had an increase in storms of various types, floods, hurricanes, uh, fires, all these things. So it's a tough time to be in the insurance business. And the increases you're seeing are not out of the ordinary of what's going on in the marketplace. One thing I'd look at, what's your deductible on your homeowner's insurance? This is something I'm encouraging all homeowners to do is raise your deductible. Your risk profile to the insurer drops, your premiums drop. Just make sure that the deductible rise you do does not exceed, if you have a mortgage on your home, what your mortgage lender permits. But Raising that deductible should save you potentially 30% on your homeowner's insurance policy, and it takes away the temptation of any small claims. Never, never, not ever make what is considered to be a nuisance claim on homeowners or auto insurance. The insurers, you could have a tiny claim or a giant claim. You're treated the same as having made a claim, and that is a difficult mark you don't want to have. Andrew in Iowa says, I'm a farmer. I purchased a 2013 GMC 3500 truck to use on our farm to haul machinery and pull trailers to make a living. Earlier this year, transmission control failed on my $35,000 truck, making it useless. The dealership only says the part is back ordered nationwide. There are thousands of people nationwide with the same trucks that won't run. A quick Google search will show you the extent of the problem. GM will not help and is failing to support its customers. Farmers could use your help along with people that make a living with these trucks. I want to thank you for bringing attention to this because no one else has. We've never heard about this problem with the GMC 3500 truck. I may be saying something you've already done, but there's a network of parts suppliers that have wrecked vehicles that people buy the parts from. And I don't know if the part that you need would be available from a junkyard, but a lot of these have electronic databases that you can search and find whether or not the part you need 
is sitting there somewhere in plain sight on a junkyard somewhere in America that would be worth your while to go get or have shipped to you so you can get your truck back on the road. I did a quick search too, and I saw lots of them for sale, like on eBay and stuff, this particular part. And it's not just for this truck. Like there is a, there's been a nationwide shortage of certain parts and there's been a big backlog for a couple of years now on these parts. But you've got just GM. I mean, uh, when something like this happens where the automaker doesn't have sufficient spare part inventory, you've got to really think outside the box and please let us know feedback if that is a way that you can get your truck back working again on your farm. And Jim in Wisconsin says, I just saw this article. I've never heard this before. And it's one of your dirty words. What are your thoughts? And links to an article that you had actually talked about a while ago in one of our staff meetings, but we haven't done it on the podcast yet. So it's a Wall Street Journal article about the dirty word. Oh, the 401k thing. Okay. So it's actually something I support through and through. And it does have that cuss word in it annuity. Okay. So when have I said an annuity is not a cuss word? When is it potentially good? When you buy an annuity that converts money into the equivalent of a pension, you go back not that long ago and retirement used to be talked about as the three-legged stool. It would be social security, whatever money you'd saved, and a pension. Well, today, almost none of us have access to a pension. And so now it's Social Security and whatever money you've saved. It's really hard once you retire to be able to manage the money you've been able to save and know that you're not going to run out of your money. So this was a smart thing Congress did. 401k plans can, at the administrator's option, make available to you when you hit retirement, allow a conversion, depending on the fund plan, of some or all of your money you've built up in your 401k into a lifetime stream of income. So it just annuitizes. Any pension is an annuitization of the money available in that pension plan. So this is different than the annuities I always make fun of and complain about the index annuities, the fixed index annuities, the blah, blah, blah annuities that have 175-page contracts. All these are is it means you're never going to outlive your money. You take an amount of money, and in the 401k, they convert it into a monthly guaranteed check for as long as you live. I have questions. Yes. Okay, so do you only do this through your 401k provider? Only through your 401k provider. What if your 401k provider is like a bad provider with high fees? So the annuity will have its own fee structure, but it's really simple with one of these. They're just saying, we'll pay you this much the rest of your life. You can go to something like the page immediateannuities.com put in the amount of money you have in your 401k that you are considering converting into this annuity, see what you would get per month as lifetime income with it, compare it to what would be available through your employer, and that way you'd have a marker. You'd know if what the employer plan is offering 
is a fair income stream for the rest of your life. Okay. So this is a potentially very good thing because there's a big chunk of people who just don't have the knowledge or skills to be able to figure out how to manage money in retirement and make sure you don't outlive it. And you don't want to be in a position where you run out of money, you're too old to work again, or you're not well enough to work again, and then all you're left with is Social Security because you depleted all the money you had worked diligently to save over the years. So this is a way of knowing you don't outlive your money. And so this is a really valid, good option for a lot of people. Coming up ahead, our power bill. Our power bill. I just paid it. You did talk about that. Man. Yeah, a few days ago. (laughs) Oh, there's something you can do that will help you lower the cost and it's pretty painless and it's old school. I'm going to talk about it straight ahead. Sometimes what's old becomes new again. We are suffering in many different places with really bad heat waves. And what follows is when the next power bill comes, well, stick or shock, because the cost of cooling is strictly a function of the difference between the outside temperature and what you set that thermostat inside. And so it's been pretty brutal. And so the answer of just sweating in your home, not a great answer. But there's something that I remember I used to talk about long ago. I haven't talked about in, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. It's so basic and so obvious How did I forget? In our home, we have ceiling fans. Do you know ceiling fans can reduce your electric bill by 70% and you not sacrifice comfort in your home? I mean, that's a a big, big savings, obviously, particularly at a time where our power bills are so exceedingly high in parts of the country that have been suffering these heat waves. I saw an update on this in Bloomberg that researchers have done very specific calculations how much you can save, and this one is a stunner. There was research done at the University of Sydney that found that 82 degrees with a powerful fan in your room feels the same as 72 degrees. That's kind of crazy, right? And you may not be willing to go all the way to setting your thermostat at 82 and counting on a fan to do the rest of the work for you. But the thing is, the fan uses basically almost no energy. Modern fans use almost none. And you don't work that compressor as hard at your home. You get the savings on your bill and you're much more comfortable. Krista, you know, I talked about this briefly the other day about Mm -hmm. how upset I was about our air conditioning bill. And so then, as I said, we had the family meeting and our son, who likes to keep his room like it's a meat freezer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is cold, cold, cold. Like I need an overcoat on 
to go over and visit him in his room. So he has his own, like... Own thermostat. Oh, that's good. That's good? Yes, because you're not trying to get the whole condo to be that temperature. Yeah, but I mean, it's really cold over there. You know, I went over all this data with him. I said, you should be running a fan, and then you don't have to turn it down so much. He said, I am running a fan. I'm still hot. Yeah, my son has a giant floor stand fan that's blowing on him at all times when he's in his room. It's crazy. He's always been like that. So is this just something about teenage maybe, sons? Maybe, yeah, maybe. So. Yeah, so anyway, this is something you can do. You can buy a box fan really cheaply, run that thing, try it, see if it works for you, allows you to not run the air conditioning as much and still feel more chill in the heat wave. Just a thought. Okay, Lisa in Nevada says, my husband and I have one debit card and one credit card. After listening to Clark, we realized that we need to have a second credit card and limit the use of our debit card. We have excellent credit and qualifying for a card is not the problem. The issue is that we have recently been victims of significant identity theft. Our credit is frozen and we are nervous about unfreezing our credit to apply for a card due to the ID theft. What would you suggest as the quickest, most secure way to apply for a credit card? Is there a credit card that you would recommend that's easier to obtain? Okay, we got lots to talk about, Lisa. When you do a credit thaw, when you temporarily unfreeze your credit, you can do it for one day. The odds that a criminal is sitting there waiting to pounce in a 24-hour period after you've been through an identity breach is very, very, very low. So you can feel comfortable doing the credit thaw for a day. They call it lift to freeze. When you go to lift to freeze, they'll ask, is it permanent? Is it temporary? How long do you want it? You just say one day or two days, whatever it is. And that's all it will do. Now, you're going to have to thaw all three credit reports for that one or two days because we don't know which one a credit issuer is going to pull from. So that's why you have to thaw all three. So you do that, and then you ask, how do you know it's going to be a card you're likely going to qualify for? If you haven't done so already, once you lift your freeze temporarily, go set up a Credit Karma account. Credit Karma will do an analysis, and they will put up a list for you of cards that your chances of approval are excellent, very good, good, fair, whatever. And so if you like any of those cards, you'd be able to apply for them knowing that the odds of approval, if it says excellent or very good, are overwhelmingly positive for you. Get the new card, and then your credit automatically refreezes 24 hours later. The beauty of having the credit karma, which will stay in place even after the freeze goes back into effect, You'll be able to monitor your credit, check your score regularly, do all those things, even with your credit frozen, once the account is established and Credit Karma is free. Andrew in West Virginia says, I have a credit score over 800 and I'm looking to apply for a vehicle loan in the next three to six months. I have a couple of credit cards with a total of $12,000 in available credit. I normally do not carry a balance on these cards and was wondering if a credit limit increase would help me with my new loan application. Andrew, there's nothing for you to worry about. I mean, when you have a credit score 
really anything above 780, you're considered to be a golden credit risk. So you don't need to do anything. You're fine. You can apply for that loan. But do you know where to apply for that loan? At a credit union. If you're not a member of a credit union yet in West Virginia, join one. Either join a local one or join one that's available to you where you live in West Virginia. And credit union vehicle loans carry a much, much, much lower interest rate than what you can get from a dealer and much lower than what you can get from a bank. Expect that uh, compared to a dealer, car dealer, you'll get three percentage points lower on a vehicle loan and compared to a bank about one and a half percentage points lower at a credit union. You, If you are not a member of a credit union, you join one, you then apply for a loan, for pre-approval for a loan, they'll tell you what the payment would be typically be for how much money and what your interest rate would be. And that's your shopping tool. As you're going out looking for a vehicle, never, ever, ever tell the dealer you already have your financing. Don't ever tell them that because they look at you as not a profitable customer. You negotiate your deal and then when you get to the profit center of a dealer called the finance and insurance department where they try to sell you an overpriced vehicle loan, you say, oh, here's my loan from my credit union. And you pay for the vehicle with that. But that's late in the transaction that they should ever know you are properly pre-arranged, pre-approved credit. And max number of months you want someone to take a loan for? 42 months. Sean in Arizona says, why do you wear two watches? Okay, what a wonderful question. Krista, for people who watch our podcast, show your right wrist. This is a Garmin. This is a Garmin. My right wrist is a Garmin. I've been indebted to Garmin for the last like 12, 14 years, something like that. So this is not actually a watch, although it does tell time. This is a Garmin fitness tracker. And I can see my historical averages all through the years. And the Garmin is always nagging me, go work out more, go do more, stay active, get up off your rear end, all of that. And so that's why I wear this. This is on my left wrist is a Samsung smartwatch. Certainly not as smart as an Apple watch, but smart in and of itself. And so it ties in really well with my Samsung phone. And that's why I wear two watches. Why wouldn't I just wear the Garmin? Well, it's a pretty dumb smartwatch. So I need a smart and smartwatch. on your ring finger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just... I'm wearing my Aura ring, which is the ultimate health and wellness ring that has three computer chips in it and tracks my health minute by minute, 24 hours a day, every day of the year, every morning I get a health score. And it's weird. If I have a virus or something, I'm not feeling well, or a nose, it'll give me a, a score. When I had COVID back in March, you would have thought that I was going to die because I woke up the, the first morning of COVID and my score was like a 35 and my score is usually about mid-80s, and there's a scale to 100, it knows what's going on with you. And it's pretty freaky how the information 
on the aura is great. You know what aura did for me more than anything else? What? Changed my sleep. That's right. I sleep so much better because aura doesn't do anything that helps you sleep. It models your sleep pattern and tells you, hey, you need to settle down now. Uh, You need to go to bed by X time. And it actually works. You're like wearing nannies is what you're doing (laughs) all over you. Yeah, I have my Garmin (laughs) nanny and I have my Aura nanny. If I had to give up one. Yeah, what would you choose? Absolutely, I'd give up Garmin and wear Aura. Garmin would get thrown off the boat first. It would. But the, the bummer for Aura now is you have to pay a monthly data fee which because I was an early adopter three and a half years ago, I don't have to pay the data fee. And the Aura, I, I replaced my $12 wedding band, I think it was 12 with the Aura, which was so expensive, $299. So that was a, a lot of money. But the value of more sleep and a better night's sleep, priceless. That does it for today for us. I hope you got priceless advice from us. And remember that my goal for you is that you save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off and have a great rest of your day.